Hi, everyone. Peter and I are excited to be back for another Tea and Tech episode to be joined by Mandy. And Mandy, I'm going to have to ask you to pronounce your last name for me. <laughs> sure, it's Freilich. Freilich, Mandy Freilich. And according to your Twitter bio, since we like to start off with Twitter bios, we have an EDU consultant, keynoter, and former tech director and educator. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. So what can you tell us about you? What do you do? Um, tell us about how you're involved in education. Yeah, absolutely. So I started out as an elementary teacher. And, um, and, you know, part of kind of what I do now is I talk a lot about teacher mental health and things like that. And when I was an elementary educator, loved what I did, but eventually got burned out and, and left and went to be a tech, uh, a tech integrator. And um, which I loved, but being an instructional coach uh, for technology was probably my most favorite job I've ever had. It was, I was in a fantastic district, very supportive, completely awesome. Um, but I got the opportunity to move and be a director of innovation and technology. And so I took that, um, loved that as well, but uh, really felt like following kind of what I deem to be my purpose as supporting educators. Uh, Cause I really believe that when we support them, we best support students was kind of my calling. And so I retired from the district last July and have been consulting full-time since then. That's kind of well, what your, I do. Yeah, your background really resonates with me because I spent a lot of time in ed tech in K-12. So I was in K-12 for nearly 10 years before switching to higher ed. So I, I had some similar sounding roles to yours in the sense that I, I think before I ended up retiring, so to speak, slash switching careers, um, I was an instructional coach for ed tech related things. So very interesting. Um, in terms of what you're doing now and working in education sectors, what are your kind of current projects that you're working on? Yeah, so I have, um, I, I, always, I always feel like I have two sides to what I do. And one is the ed tech consulting. It's more, for, for me, it's more like, it's the, the ed tech leadership uh, technology director, virtual learning, all of those types of things side. And then I have the other side where I focus on teacher mental health, teacher engagement, um, you know, uh, burnout, demoralization, all of those kinds of things. And they actually do go together because people are like, oh, you're always in two camps. And I'm like, nope. Um, because if you think about it, um, and you're asking people to be innovative if they're dealing with burnout or mental health issues, how innovative are they going to be? Not very. So if you are talking about those things, like they, they actually go way more hand in hand than people think. And um, so I, I can, you know, consult with those types of things. Uh, my, one of my, the things that I've developed is called the hierarchy of needs for innovation and divergent thinking. And it's basically an organizational structure um, on, on supporting teachers for being more innovative. And then in that, in that other camp, <laughs> um, I've written a couple books as well, and I do a lot of consulting and, um, you know, working with districts on how we can better support teachers and, uh, in, you know, in their mental health and things like that, which then trickles down to students. So um, I have the books I work on. Um, I also uh, do a podcast called Teachers Aid through the BAM Radio Network, which is solely on social, social emotional support for teachers. And so that's kind of the things that I'm, that I'm currently working on. You're busy. Yeah. Right. And well, I also actually, as far as higher ed goes, I also teach as an adjunct. Um, I teach a, a leadership and innovation course, a graduate level course for teachers 
who are aspiring to be administrators, which is actually one of my favorite things that I do um, because it's one of the things that I, I can, you know, you can immediately see the difference that's happening and you can see their growth over the course of the course, over the course of the course. And I absolutely love that. So that's actually one of my favorite things I do. I'm curious, do the topics of mental health slash burnout ever come up in that graduate course? And, and I'm wondering as, as a secondary part to that, um, when you're having discussions with educators about mental health and burnout, or maybe starting that conversation, do you find it a difficult conversation to start? Or are you sort of waiting for people to approach you? Because it's kind of like, yes, I'm willing to talk about that. Um, well, yeah, it always comes up in the graduate level course. And it's easy to address it in that course, because, um, you know, you can look at your, especially in a graduate level, I think, because you could look at your students and say, hey, I know most of you are working full time and have kids and have fur babies and have this and have that, you know, and maybe even working a second job and you're getting your master's degree, like burnout, like they can absolutely, <laughs> you know, uh, relate to that. So that one's, that one's an easier one. Um, the thing I love about talking about burnout and, and all of the reasons for disengagement, because there's lots of reasons for disengagement besides that, that just happens to be um, the most common one. But the reason I love talking about that is in the course of talking about teacher disengagement, um, a lot of times people find that they have a higher level of empathy for the teachers they consider to be disengaged. And so, because frankly, when you talk about disengaged teachers are typically very um, negative. They're the ones who are contributing to your, your, your culture issues, right? And, um, you know, they may not be the nicest to students all the time, and they're not doing the things that engaged teachers do. And they may be the ones that you kind of butt heads with more often in the school or just try to ignore altogether. And, and so one of the side benefits of talking about that is a lot of times, again, people just develop more of an empathy for what might be going on in those people's lives that got them to that point. Mm. Um, and so talking about that in a graduate level where those people are then going to become leaders, I think is one of the most important things I can do because it's, um, you know, when I, when I taught kids, I always said, well, I'm, I'm impacting more, you know, like I'm, I'm impacting my class of kids, but then I became an instructional coach and I'm like, well, I'm impacting the teachers who impact kids. And then as an administrator, you know, and as yeah. this graduate level, it's kind of the, I'm impacting the leaders who are going to impact the teachers who are impacting the kids. And so um, I feel like the trickle down effect is definitely, you know, at play there. Um, as far as talking to people, if it's difficult, it really depends on the person. Um, you know, we have teachers who are anywhere from, I don't, I think mental health is just a movement going to go away. Like it's really not, you know, kids are just coddled. That's why they act like they do. And, and, you know, people just use mental health as an excuse. Like you have these people, right? They're harder to talk. They're, they're more difficult to talk to because they're not in the mindset that mental health is a thing. And then you have the people who have shut up because of those people, those other people who say that it's not really a thing and are just looking for that one person to say, I have anxiety and I'm a teacher. And they're like, oh my gosh, I do too. You know, and, and so it's kind of the, the reaction that I get a lot. Um, and in particular with, with the remote, um, the 
emergency remote learning, um, when I've talked about things like burnout and demoralization, people have said, I'm exhausted. Like, I just need to know how to fix this. And I'm not sure how to do it. And I heard a statistic um, where they were saying like one in five teachers was thinking about, about leaving solely because of the pandemic, not even because of things that were happening before. And so I think going into next year, like that's going to really be one of the areas we need to pay attention to. So it sounds like you would definitely advocate for administrators in some capacity, finding ways to check in with the I'll umbrella it under mental health, but of the wellness aspects to how their educators are doing. Um, because I, I know that people don't speak up, kind of like you were saying, like they don't, maybe teachers don't want to say, hey, I'm feeling anxious. Or like, I know when Peter and I were working kind of around the clock when we went remote because we didn't have online before, I certainly didn't raise my hand to any of my superiors and say, I'm exhausted. I'm kind of mentally yeah. freaking out here because I knew that it, I had to get it, everything working, right? But um. I'm curious when you are talking with these educators, um, I'm thinking more the graduate level just because I can kind of make some parallels in my head to our faculty that we work with. Um, I know you can't sum this up or probably not in like three things to look for when it comes to mental health and education, but are there some things that you kind of guide them towards thinking about when, when they're thinking about their staff? What signs they should look for and how they can start to respond or help if they're seeing some of those signs? Sure. Well, and I think that, so part of the issue with this whole, there's a, there's a few issues with the whole idea of mental health and teacher engagement. One is that we are not mental health professionals. Like mm -hmm. even from speaking from an administrator standpoint, like we don't have the tools or the manpower or the people to actually address mental health issues in teachers, right? We can address, we may be able to address mental health, but mental health issues are a totally separate profession. And, and I think that's a frustration and because it's frustrating and because we want to help people, like I think it comes from a good place, usually. You know? Usually it comes from a place of, like, I really care for my staff. I want them to be better. I don't know how. And because I don't know how, I don't do anything, you know? And that's kind of the, I, like, I don't want to do the wrong thing, so I'm not going to do anything. And so I think that that's, that's kind of where it comes from. And, and that, so that part of it can be a struggle. Another thing is, is I've seen administrators take it too far and where they require teachers to report back on what self-care activities they're doing, which is a very gray area privacy thing. Like, <laughs> that's not okay. Don't do that. Um, and uh, I had a, a teacher respond one time on Twitter, and she said, I don't want to take the time to convince my employer I'm okay. Yeah. And, and I thought that that was a really interesting way to say it. Like, yeah, that's, that's mm -hmm. true, and you shouldn't have to do that. Um, so what I, the, the, like, the things that you can look for are, are what is happening, like your climate and culture is going to be one of the first things that you take a look at. And I found that when you have, say, 75% of your staff who is either um, negatively emotionally engaged, so they're super angry about things, they, mm -hmm. they don't understand what's happening, they want to make a difference, they're, they're fighting for the, what they feel is the right thing or you have, you know, that combined with teachers who are disengaged, you are guaranteed to have a super negative climate 
and mm -hmm. a culture that's just not, not conducive to learning. And so when that happens, leaders often say, well, I don't know how to make people be better, more mm -hmm. effective, increase student achievement. You're looking at the wrong thing. That's why you can't do it. You have to look at the root of the issue. And when you dial back and you peel back all those layers of the engagement onion, you're going to find that the issue is probably something that has to do with teacher engagement. Um, and so you address that and you're going to be on your way to, you know, addressing the rest of your climate and culture. Um, so I think that that would be one thing. Another thing you could look for is um, really at yourself. Look at and see how often are you modeling vulnerability? How often are you saying, hey, guys, this stinks, but we're going to get through it together, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and how often are you modeling self-care? Self because I know as an administrator, one thing I stunk at is I would say self-care guys, but then I would be answering emails at 8.30 at night. Yep. And so you can't, you have to practice what you preach because if you're not going to do it, nor are they. So um, that's, I think that's a couple of things, you know, a couple of things. And I've, I've had administrators say to me, I look at my staff and they're exhausted. Well, that's your first clue. You can see it on their faces, you know. And, mm -hmm. and so it's, it is hard to pinpoint because everybody is different. Everybody reacts to anxiety differently. There are some people who have massive bouts of depression who you would never know it. And some people who can't get out of bed with the same thing. And so because we're not mental health professionals, it's difficult to see. But, um, you know, if you start to really pay attention to people, you can start picking up on little things to see, you know, how they change over time. So that would, those would kind of be my recommendations for that. Thank you for sharing these because I, I have to tell you, I've taken so many takeaways from just what you said already because I know we have a transcript and I'm thinking, especially the one about the, the teacher that reached out to you on Twitter about, you know, the teacher didn't want to take the time to basically quantify if she was, you know, fixing herself, so to speak. And that's my paraphrasing, but um, that's, that should be the pull quote for this episode, I think. Yeah. So, Peter, did you want to ask some of your questions? Sure. So, Mandy, you just had your second book come out recently, uh, Reignite the Flames. And I'm sure uh, when the, the roots of that book were at a time when the world was a more normal place than now, because mm -hmm. books take, take a while to write, right? So mm -hmm. now the book came out and all of a sudden we're in emergency remote learning, like you said. There are social upheavals kind of happening in the news every day. What I'm kind of curious given that you're already discussing, uh, especially educated mental health and engagement or disengagement, which was already an issue before all this. And now, of course, our lives have changed so much in the sense that we use technology uh, so much to stay connected. Uh, you're in, we're in Zoom meetings all day long, but we also sit on social media and read about these things that are sort of happening a few miles away from our houses, but then we don't really know, are they really real? Are they not real? So there's this very much okay. sense of disconnection from each other from the real world. What are some of the concerns that you kind of see going forward, building upon the work that you've done in your book, but based on how technology has kind of overtaken our lives now, because it has to supplant the real face-to-face -face interactions that we used to have? Yeah, uh, yeah. So, um, so many things in what you said. Um, and when we went to emergency remote learning, I I, I kind of had an inkling of what was going to happen for a couple reasons. Um, one of them was 
I had been up to that point consulting with some districts on moving them into um, virtual programs and charter schools. And so I had worked with the districts from, who were being very, very proactive <laughs> in what they were trying to get these programs, you know, and getting these programs set up. And, and I knew the work that it took to get to the point that everybody was being asked to move to in a day. And, and so from that standpoint, I, like, I, 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 I kind of knew what the districts were up against. Also, from, just from my own experience, when I, as a teacher, when I moved from the district and then moved to work solely online, I, it was the weirdest thing just, you know, and I wasn't in the position of remote, uh, you know, having to do remote learning. I was, I moved from being a tech director to a consultant, but still there was the feeling of, at first it was like euphoria, like, oh my gosh, I can stay in my pajamas and work next to the fireplace. And this is fantastic. You know, that lasted for like three days. And then a couple of days in, I'm like, wow, I'm super lonely. You know, like I can't really talk to people. And then I started, I, I almost went through this, this feeling where I needed to pull back because I felt like I was online all the time. That's where my friends were, you know, like my, my colleagues that I work with uh, across the globe were online. And so I had this weird feeling of I'm online too much, um, battling with that's where the people who I care for and who make me a better person are. And, mm -hmm. and so I started feeling very, very isolated from all of, you know, everybody else. And so I could kind of see, um, you know, see those coming also couple that with the extensive conversations that I have had with, that I had had with the districts that I was working to moving them into virtual programs mm -hmm. and, um, and talking to them like, you need to understand like this is going to be different. You know, kids are, kids are, are not going to understand the isolation that they are bound to feel at some point. And, um, and in those cases, those teachers and those kids were choosing to be there. So when remote emergency learning or emergency remote learning, I keep getting those mixed up, um, started like, almost none of those teachers and students were choosing to be there. A whole nother layer of issues. Mm -hmm. And so there have been some great things that have happened from emergency remote learning in terms of, um, you know, teachers having to get online and learn new things and really push the envelope depending upon how, um, you know, how, uh, Kind of tech savvy they were. Um, there's the idea that we understand we we there's this period of time that we have to decide how much we're going to disrupt education and possibly jump on it. You know, like the potential for it is there, but um, the toll that it's taken on people. I think is something that we're not quite going to be able to even fully understand until we get everybody into a building again. And we can almost take stock of what we have. Um, I was, I kind of gave the example, I was on a panel the other day and I said, the weirdest thing happened to me. I'm a pretty social person and 
from being, um, you know, we had our stay at home order since middle of March. I'm in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Recently, the stay at home order was shot down by the state uh, Supreme Court. So everything is back open again. My two daughters had a physical appointment with their doctor. I actually brought them into the doctor and I was, I was in the physical waiting room and there's, there's kids in there and everything else. And a couple of the kids were yelling and I got like, oh my gosh, I can't stand this. I can't stand this. There's too much, there's too much like the noise and there's, there's too much coming at me because I've gotten so accustomed to being at yeah. home mm-hmm. that, and, and it, my anxiety went immediately through the roof and it was by nobody's fault that, you know, it was nobody's fault. The kids weren't being especially naughty or anything else. And I actually thought to myself, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine if I had to go back into a small room with 25 children in the fall. And so I think that some of these things are going to happen and they're going to be very unexpected. And when you couple that with some of the, um, you know, social injustice issues and, and the riots and things that are going on that add a whole nother level of emotional turmoil, um, you know, I, I think, I think the fall is going to be, there's going to be a steep learning curve for everybody. Um, so I'm not sure if I answered your question, <laughs> question correctly, because I kind of went on a bunch of tangents, but um, it's definitely, you know, the mental health piece of it is going to be something that I think um, we're going to be struggling with come the fall. No, I love that answer, especially because as you mentioned, there's probably going to be a lot of that kind of unseen stress and anxiety from people who, like yourself, you said you were, you know, social before, but you got so used to being at home and then you got overwhelmed by the stimuli, the noises, the the people, the proximity that a lot of people will never just think of that. They'll be like, well, I'll be okay. I'll just walk back into that room and it'll be just like it was two or six months ago or whatever it was, but it won't be, but that'll be another underreported or unreported Mm -hmm. Uh, kind of mental health aspect from employees and teachers and students that we'll, we might never even hear about, but it will be happening. So I, I think it's a really good perspective. In, in case, you know, so in, in, the, in the spring, if this is magically all over and we're back to our buildings and, you know, 50 students to a classroom or an office or whatever, what are some of the things that you think we have learned or some techniques that we have picked up during this because of necessity that you would like to keep going forward because you think they're good additions to everybody's toolbox? Sure. Um, So one of the things that, like, uh, I am a huge fan of blended learning. I am a huge fan of online learning when it's well-planned and when, you know, people choose to be in that position. I think that we're going to have where we have some kids who are like, oh my gosh, this online learning, like, this is fantastic. You know, like, I really learned this way. And my, I, I couldn't believe it. My son, um, who's in, my oldest son's in college. And this was the first semester that he got a 4.0. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and he's, yeah, thanks. And he's like, like, I can actually learn this way, you know. Um, and so I think there are going to be some kids who are like, yeah, I can do this and I prefer this. And that's fantastic because they might have gotten or gotten that chance before. Mm-hmm. Um, my only fear is that um, people feel like, uh, and, and it's kind of the reason I use the term emergency remote learning is because I want people to understand that what we were doing in most cases was not typical online learning. 
Um, you know, I've heard statistics up to 25% of kids who didn't do anything at all. The, the teachers never heard from them. Um, yeah, yeah, just totally, you know, off the grid completely. And so the one thing that I would love to see is for districts, if they know they're going to start this in September, um, is to start to plan, um, you know, just a little bit better of what that looks like. And we did the best we absolutely possibly could. Like, I believe that. I believe everybody did the best that they could at the time when it happened. But I think that in the fall with a little planning, we can do better. I'm still not sure we're going to be following all of the best practices in online, online learning. Um, however, we can do better. And from that might sprout very well-planned online programs because people know what worked and what didn't. Um, it might help teachers who are going back into the brick and mortar setting actually implement blended learning because they saw pieces of it that worked. And that would be fantastic. Um, one kind of side note of something that I think has, has kind of spawned from this is um, teachers, like we knew teachers loved their students. But I saw teachers say, I appreciated seeing my students every day. Like, it was good. But I miss them so much, I can't even believe it. You know, kind of that appreciation of, oh my gosh, like I belong in, like there's some people who are super burnt out, right? But we have some people who are like, I belong in that classroom. I belong in the brick and mortar setting. I belong with my students. I have to be able to hug them if they want to hug me. I need to know that they're safe for seven hours out of a day. Like I need to be there. And I think that that's something too that I hope continues, you know, well beyond uh, this, this remote emer or emergency remote learning. Well, thank you very much for being with us today. We've taken so many takeaways from this that I know I'm going to rewatch this just because it's, it's super helpful for me. And I know it's going to be really helpful to our faculty. So thank you for taking the time out of your day to chat with us. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I really do appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you, Mandy.